you've got to care. You've always got to care about everything you do. Caring is the difference between success and failure. I'm Dr. Mark Rowe, and welcome to my podcast, In the Doctor's Chair. As a family physician, my expertise is supporting people in the areas of positive health and lifestyle medicine. Join me in conversations that share life lessons, health habits, and leadership practices, focusing on positive psychology, lifestyle medicine, and ways that enable you to live with more vitality on purpose. Appreciating that when it comes to your vitality, that everything is so interconnected. Episodes will air weekly, and you can find me wherever you listen to your podcasts. And of course, on my website, drmarkrow.com. In this episode of In the Doctor's Chair, I'm joined by Heather Fenimore, a global pioneer in healthcare ergonomics. Heather has more than 30 years leadership experience in establishing, leading and managing a major sales organization. Her passion and dedication is behind why human scale designs for the environment and why their products use fewer parts and more recyclable materials to aim for an overall net positive impact on our planet. If you're a leader who recognizes, particularly since COVID-19, that living with vitality and building a more resilient mind matter now more than ever for you and your team, then this podcast is for you. For further details, visit drmarkrow.com. So I'm delighted to be joined today by Heather. How are you doing, Heather, today? I'm good. How are you, Mark? I'm great. I'm really delighted to have you on the podcast, Heather. And I suppose really when I think of Heather Fenimore, and I've known you a long time, you know, your name is synonymous with excellence in ergonomics. And you can't really think of Heather without thinking of ergonomics and obviously your your company Human Scale. Could I ask you just to share with our listeners, because some won't have heard of Human Scale or won't know much about it. Can you just tell them where this passion of yours for ergonomics came from? Well, when we started the company, right, every, every company starts with an idea or a product. Mm-hmm. We started the company when computers or dummy terminals first started to show up in office environments. So we saw a need to make a product that would help to eliminate a problem, which at the time was a lot of glare because these monitors were very mirror-like. And so the passion, I think, didn't start with that. The passion started when we started to meet customers, which at that time were mostly Fortune 500 companies because they were the only ones that had technology. Mm -hmm. We customers, and we started to talk to people that were working in these companies that all of a sudden had this technology put in front of them, and they were experiencing discomfort. So everything that we've done since then was to to eliminate the discomfort and create products that would help adapt technology to people rather than have people adapt to the technology. And as we went through that journey, we became very passionate about it because it was really, and still is today, a huge issue where the human being, which is not meant for sitting all day or staring mm-hmm. a mirrored image, um, 
it, it was became a passion for us to develop products that would make that more comfortable and in the end help people become more productive and you know it was exciting to see that we could actually as as we developed our products that it actually made a difference and that's where the the passion came from it didn't come from us starting the company and saying hey we're going to have this great ergonomic company it came from one product that actually really saw a problem and then all the other products that that came after that were just products that helped solve additional problems as we became a technology-based society. Yes, and that's so interesting that really you started with the question, why? You know, why were people experiencing such discomfort with technology? And then, then how could you really make a difference? And, you know, I know in, in my work as a doctor, Heather, I see so many people, even today with issues related to workplace limb disorders, workplace neck strain, back strain. And, and you're right, this has a big impact on people's productivity, their quality of lived experience, and it can be quite detrimental to their physical and mental health. No, absolutely. And you know, it's kind of evolved. So ergonomics at the beginning, I mean, if you look at the, the study of ergonomics, it first, it first kind of started in the military and designed mm-hmm. that was more efficient or more effective to use, say, when you're sitting in the cockpit of a, of a fighter jet. But it's the same thing in office ergonomics or healthcare ergonomics. It's all about making products that allow people to use technology without becoming injured. And, and really, injuries are all relative, right? I Absolutely. mean, injuries still happen, mm-hmm. but the, the cognitive ergonomics has become a huge, a huge issue, particularly in healthcare where you have highly stressful environments. And in the, in the workplace, in the office workplace, it's more about efficiency. I mean, if you're uncomfortable, your effectiveness at doing your job becomes, becomes limited. And so where, you, where ergonomics started with just hoping to eliminate major accidents and things like that have evolved into really the mental and the efficiency side of of work. I mean it makes perfect sense. I mean if you're if you're in pain and discomfort, it's simply not possible to be as attentive or as productive or as, you know, on your A game. And and similarly when you look at the, you know, the prevalence, the real tsunami of of chronic adverse health conditions we're facing now in the Western world from you know, diabetes, arthritis, you know, many chronic health conditions which are associated with the increasing sedentary nature of, of modern life and the increasing stressful nature of modern life. I mean, so many people are marinating in cortisol all day long. I mean, it makes perfect sense uh, to be providing an environment that supports people in, in moving more and staying healthier on the job. Right. But I think from what I know about human scale, Heather, you're much more than just ergonomics and much more than just a healthier workplace, even though that is really, really core to your, to your value system, because I know that you're, you're big into, into sustainability as well. And I mean, I loved that piece on your website by your founder, Bob, Bob King, who said that less bad simply isn't good enough, that as an organization, you want to have a net positive impact 
on the planet. Could you speak to that for me a little bit? Fundamentally, it's in our our core. It's our core values, right? Bob and yes. I have always been. We've loved the outdoors. I mean, mm-hmm. we grew up. We were very fortunate to grow up at a time where you know your parents kicked you out of the house every yes. <laughs> to go play. And I mean, we we lived in in places where we could go and play in creeks and you know climb trees and just be in nature. So we we loved it. Our mm. our parents, both of our parents, really instilled a innate value of nature and being in the outdoors and also not only nature, but, but animals. We've had a great respect for both of those things from the very beginning. So when we started human scale and we started to manufacture and we started to have, you know, creating stuff, we always looked at it from the lens of how is this going to impact the environment when it goes, you know, to the grave. Or how is it going to impact the environment in every step of the process? So over time, it's now become kind of fashionable to to talk about sustainability, where it's always been in our core value, Mm -hmm. but it's always been our story. But customers didn't really care about it. I mean, it wasn't even customers didn't care about it. There really wasn't a lot of awareness in the world. Mm. It's no one's fault. It was just not on the tip of people's you know, thought process. So as it became more of an issue, we, we just kept, you know, exploring it. And even today, I mean, the fact that we partnered with a company and a lot of our, our mesh chairs are made of, of recycled fishing nets from, from the oceans is, is an amazing story. I mean, we, we love to fish, we love to be on the water. We used to see nets all the time. We used to see, you know, these poor sea creatures caught in these things. And it was an ever-ending cycle of, you know, they'd get caught, they'd they'd decompose, and then they'd sink again and get, and it was just a a horrible cycle. So when we found out about like companies doing very similar things, we've been able to partner with folks like that to really bring our message full, full circle but it's it's just in our in our DNA, and you know we've we've always thought about it. Now customers really appreciate it because there's an awareness, and certainly the new generations coming up, you know, have to live with it. And we all know what what's happening in the planet, what's happening, you know, globally. So there's there's more of a an awareness, mm-hmm. but it's always been at the heart of of our organization. And I know that you are passionate about the, the World Wildlife Fund as well. That's, that's part of that, right? Yes, absolutely. And we've, we've dedicated resources and given resources. We're very fortunate that we've been able to do that. One project is in Cambodia, which is a wildlife preserve, which was for tigers. It was one of the last areas that, that tigers were roaming free. And you know, we were always supportive. We have sat on the board of World Wildlife and they came to us and talked to us about this project. So we committed over a period of years to donate to this project, which is a huge success. It was really, there were no tigers left. They didn't know that, but what, what, what the program did was it, it gave jobs to local mm-hmm. folks. It gave training to local folks. So we got 
we're able to train people to be, to be conservation officers, to patrol. And what it did is it brought back all the wildlife that was, that was there before that was depleted from poaching or, or just you know, lack of, of oversight. And then we've since reintroduced tigers into the mix because the tigers weren't there because there was no food source for them. And so that, those kinds of things are really important to us because a lot of these animals, the only way you'll be able to see them are in zoos, which is horrible. Mm-hmm. And they're just depleting our planet's resources. So we're very committed to that as well. Well, I think that's wonderful. I mean, there's a saying that says, you know, we all make a living with what we get, but we make a life with what we give to others. And I think actions really do speak louder than words. And when your actions are motivated by that sense of wanting to make things better, whether it's to make workplaces better, or whether it's to make the world a more sustainable planet for future generations, I think, I think that's really the sweet spot of where, where good things flow from. I would agree with that. (laughs) (laughs) And you mentioned your parents, uh, Heather, do you feel that, that your, your values and your, you know, your, your sense of motivation and drive, did that come from your childhood? Do you believe? Yeah, no, absolutely. I, I, you know, none of us have perfect parents. (laughs) 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 Their parents are not perfect. But yeah, absolutely. I, I was very fortunate and I had a, both my parents, my father was, was very committed to his work, very, very serious about what he did and everything and play and work and what have you. And he instilled those values. He loved the outdoors. My dad actually was a corporate guy, but he went to school to be a forest ranger. Wow. <laughs> that didn't work out. And I think he, he was better off for it, perhaps, but, but, you know, he loved the outdoors and my grandfather too. My grandfather taught, taught me how to fish and taught me how to shuffle around in, in creeks and search for like arrowheads and stuff like that. But my parents had a huge influence on my life. I mean, although, you know, looking back on it, my dad was not being in the big corporate world was not that risk risk wasn't a huge risk taker when it came to business. So when, when we started human scale and getting started, I mean, I think he would have liked for me to be in a more conventional organization that had more security, but at the same time, he used to say to me, Heather, you're a rebel and you'd never (laughs) corporate America because you're, you're a rebel and you always have been ever since you were a kid. So in one sense, he wanted security for me. And in the other sense, he knew that it, that I was, wasn't a conformist, but, and my mother too, my mother was, was both of them were not easy parents by any stretch of the imagination. I mean, they expected perfection and, you know, my dad, I, I remember a saying, my dad, you know, I used to, I was away at school and I go, dad, you know, I need more money for my allowance because, you know, I'm starving to death. I hate the food, the cafeteria. <laughs> my dad's answer to me was, you could afford to skip a meal. <laughs> so, I mean, those were my parents. They didn't cut us any slack. And, and for that, I, I have to, I have to really thank them because, even though I was brought up in pretty much middle class, upper middle class, when I graduated from college, that was it. I was on my own. And, you know, I remember asking my dad, I said, can I borrow some money? Cause we wanted to start this company. 
And he said, now you got to figure out how to, how to get the money. <laughs> so the car that he had given me <laughs> to get the money to start, but yeah. So. Well, obviously, it. yeah, they, they obviously gave you a very strong work ethic, which really sustained you from the start. Yeah. I mean, you know, the work ethic was absolutely a work ethic, but you got to find something you're, you're, you're passionate about and you love doing because otherwise it is work. And if you find something you really love. Absolutely. Meaning behind it, then it's not work. Do you think, Heather, that's why, I mean, burnout is, is so prevalent now in, in the Western world. I mean, in, in medicine, they would say at any one time, maybe one in every three physicians and, and healthcare practitioners are experiencing burnout. And I know in, in corporate America, just like in, in, in corporate Ireland, it's, it's very common as well. Do you think that's because people haven't connected what they do with that sense of passion that you're describing? You know, I, I can't really speak to, to other people's issues. I mean, I can speculate. <laughs> I can speculate. I mean, we have a lot of employees at human scale. You know, usually burnout happens when, from my perspective, when people don't feel that they're successful mm-hmm. or they are making a difference. And, and maybe that's not a conscious, a conscious thing, but if people are successful, if they feel that they're successful at what they're doing, regardless of what that is, I don't see burnout. I see burnout when people are, are failing and it could simply be because their managers are not, not helping them or whatever the case, but people that are successful that see themselves at being successful, there's very little burnout mm-hmm. from perspective. I, I would agree. And, you know, it's really interesting when you look at purpose, people that see their, their job as being successful in terms of helping others, making a difference connecting to something bigger outside of themselves are far less likely to experience burnout and actually have far more job satisfaction and life satisfaction. Yeah. You know, burnout can also, and I'm, I'm just speaking to what I see. And, of course. And, but burnout can also be because people feel defeated. And, you know, starting a business, I mean, we started a business, we've had parts of our business fail we keep trying and I don't know what we can attribute to that. Obviously parent work ethic and you just don't give up and you just keep going and it's just, it's just what you do. I don't know how you, you instill that in people, but from my perspective, you know, having a company with a lot of people is the only thing we can do is give people the tools and the training and the Mm -hmm. education that they need to be successful. You know, then it's up to them. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. Like success, it really is an inside job. It starts on the inside with having the right mindset. I mean, I think you're talking a lot about resilience and grit as well in that understanding that, you know, everybody has struggles and setbacks in life. That is life. We all have speed bumps on the road, but you learn to get through them and, and find a way through and come out the other side stronger, maybe wiser, a little bit better. And you keep on going. Yeah. But it helps to have good mentorship. It helps to have good doctors like yourself that are <laughs> look at the person holistically, not mm. just because of one thing. It is mentorship. It's management. It's it, you know, all of that. Who do you most admire in the world, Heather, and why? Oof, that's a tough question. I would 
would say, I don't want to sound trite, but I would say my husband. Yes. Because Can you tell me a little bit about, about him? Yeah, so so my husband, so we've been married, geez, 30, I think 37 years this year. Congratulations. <laughs> but my husband is in probably one of the most passionate people I know for what he does. And he's a horse trainer. Mm-hmm. And he just doesn't give up. I mean, every day he goes out the door, every day he goes to the barns, every day. And it, it's training animals is, is a little bit different than managing people, but he's had his adversity because he's got a philosophy in the way he trains is he doesn't, there's no drugs, there's no cruelty. And so he kind of bucks the mold. And because of that, you could say he hasn't been as successful as some of his counterparts that he knows but he's true to his, his vision and he never gives up. I don't know if I could have done what he did and still have remained, you know, still kept going out that door every morning. I have a tremendous amount of respect for him. I mean, certainly there's a lot of people in the world that I have respect for and you, you included. (laughs) (laughs) I'd say closest to me, I would say my husband. Absolutely. Well, I can second that because I'm fortunate I've met Steve several times and he is so passionate about his horses and about his methods of training. And he's really he's a he's a real North Star. I think he's really, really true to his own purpose. Yes. And that is so admirable in somebody to see that somebody that's constant and true and really authentic to their own values and beliefs. I think in, in today's world, that's an increasingly rare thing to experience, but it's it's very real when you do. Absolutely. And I, can I just ask you a little bit about, I mean, you, you were a very successful, you'd be known as being a very successful leader, Heather. Could I just ask you, how do you define leadership? You know, what do you, what might you look for in an aspiring leader yourself? And could you speak a little bit about women in leadership? because I think that's increasingly important nowadays. Okay, so that's a lot of questions, Mark. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Your first question is about... is about Leadership. Just, yeah, how would you define leadership? Well, it depends upon... You know, it's interesting because it's changed over the years, mm-hmm. right? You evolve. So leadership is, is really... There's a bit of gut to leadership. Mm-hmm. I, I remember when I was young and... You know, I said to my dad, dad, you know, you're, you, you run a huge company, just teach me everything, you know, and then I'll know it and I won't have to, you know, I'll, I'll be way ahead of the game. Right. And he said, you know, it doesn't work that way. Either. You got to, you got to experience, you've got to, you got to have time in the saddle, as my husband would say. Right. Yes. So leadership, when I was young, oh boy, I was dumb. I was young. I was mean. You know, I was just cracking the whip. I thought if you said you, you should do something, people should do it. Leadership now is, is about, it's about development, right? It's about developing and creating, which, which was what Bob and I set out to do early on, was create an environment that was conducive to achievement. And there's a responsibility with that, right? So you're, so the leadership responsibility to do that is to make sure you, you create that environment where people can thrive and be successful, like we talked about earlier. Mm-hmm. So leadership really is about just 
just steering people and providing people the platform so that they can be who they want to be. Yeah, I love I love what you said there about, you know, your dad and telling you needed experience. It, it reminds me of this story about a man who considered himself to be very wise and he went to see this Zen guru and he said to the Zen guru, will you teach me more about wisdom? So the Zen guru said, well, let's sit down and he got a pot of tea and he started pouring the wise person a cup of tea and he filled up the cup and he kept pouring, and pouring and pouring. So the tea was flowing everywhere. And the supposed wise person said, why are you pouring? Because, you know, you, there's no room left in the cup. You need to you need to have space for life's experiences before you can become fully wise. So you can't, you know, pour into a cup that's already full. So if you believe you have nothing left to learn, that's not conducive to real leadership and real lifelong success. Yeah, it's it's an interesting evolution. You know, I interview people all the time and I ask them, I always ask them the question, if you were to line up all the people that you've managed, directly managed over the course of your career, what would they actually say about you? And I think that changes. I think as leaders, certainly I've evolved. I have more humanity because I understand you know, like you said, the human condition and how fragile it can be. As leaders, we have a responsibility to, we have a responsibility to our businesses and to grow our businesses. But part of that response, our big part of that responsibility is, is our people and how, how we create platforms for them to be successful, for them to spread their wings, for them to fulfill their dreams. And 20 years ago, I wouldn't have thought, I wouldn't have really thought about that because I wouldn't have understood it. So leadership evolves and it has its, it has its moments of chaos and it has its moments of brilliance and it has its moments of, you know, discovery because leaders are also people, right? <laughs> Absolutely. And so I think, I think the best leaders are, are always learning. Right. You know, learning about themselves, learning about their people. And right. as you said, you're absolutely right, Heather. We do change and we grow and we evolve. And I think one of the interesting things is when you do see things, when you change the way you look at things, you, the things you look at start to change. In other words, when you see things differently, you'll never see things the old way again. And that's, that's, that's growth. And I think that's good. Right. What about women in leadership, Heather? Have you any, any thoughts on that? No, I think women make make great leaders as long as they don't cry. Um, <laughs> now, you know, I think women still have a long way to go. In leadership, you have to have confidence, right? You have to have confidence and you have to compartmentalize certain things. And I've, I've, so I was brought up, believe it or not, and we all go back, I'm going back to my childhood again, but but my parents, the way they brought me up was, and my father was like, it doesn't matter if you're male or female or what color you are or whatever. They, they, that's just how we were brought up. It's about doing a good job and being confident at it, right? Yes. So as a woman, I've been very fortunate because I've been for the majority of my, well, the most of my career, the majority of my career, I've been at human scale. You know, my, my business partners, certainly our, our founder and CEO, 
I mean, we, we never thought about male, female. We never thought about any of the issues that people talk about today, right? They really weren't issues for us as a company. Now, there were issues out in the world, but even those didn't really affect me as, as a woman in business. I just didn't pay attention to it. I didn't allow it. And therefore, I think that's part of the reason why I never experienced it. But I think women make good leaders. They just, they just need to get out of their own way. Women are, you know, the, the gatherers, right? Yes. <laughs> Scheme of things. And they talk and they, they process information a little differently than men. And they sometimes can get caught up in things that they don't necessarily need to get caught up in. And I'm just, again, speaking of women leaders in our organization. By the way, the majority of our senior leadership team at HumanScale are women. Okay. <laughs> and there's a reason for that because, you know, women pay attention. They're really have an overarching sense of being very good at what they do. And they, they still to this day believe they have to be better than their male counterparts in order to succeed, which I think, you know, hopefully over the years, will that'll go away. But I don't know if that answers your question. Or not. <laughs> well, I don't know if there is an answer. I mean, I was just curious, given that you're such a successful leader, what you would have thought on that. But I think it's more about being a, being a really good human being. Whether you're male or female, I don't think really matters. But I think you're yeah. right. I think, I think women often have very good emotional intelligence skills and, you know, can be really fabulous leaders at all right. levels. Yeah, no, I, I agree. They just, you know, I just know from my own experience, you've got to keep the emotions aside. You use it because that, that emotional intelligence is certainly advantageous to being a, a good leader, but you have to, you have to put all that other stuff aside and be confident in what you're doing. Yes. I see a lack of confidence in, in women. I think part of it is because everybody's talking about how, you know, women have been downtrodden over the years. And my, my feeling is, is if you make it an issue, it will be an issue and you don't want to use it as an excuse. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I tell people all the time, you know what, if you want to use an excuse, then there you have it. It's an excuse and excuses get anyone anywhere. What's the best lesson you've ever learned? There's a lot. The best lesson I've ever learned would, would probably be you've got to care. You've always got to care about everything you do. Caring is the difference between success and failure. And not that I don't care, but you've got to remember that caring is what is really going to separate someone that is excellent at what they do and someone that's not. Well, I think that's a very insightful response. I was going to say, you know, William Blake, that brilliant writer, he said the strongest poison ever known was Caesar's laurel crown. In other words, nothing fails in life like success. You know, there's so many stories of people that have been successful and then they've gone down. But are you saying to me that, that caring is really the key to lasting success for you, Heather? Yeah. Yeah. yeah I would. Because if you care, think of all the things that that means. Absolutely. You're still incredibly engaged. It's just what the word caring means. 
if we were to look back over, you know, say the last five years, what, what would you say is the main highlight for you career-wise over that time? Oh, without a doubt, really starting and growing our healthcare sector of our business. You know, we've, we've grown the business for 35 plus years and we were, we're entrepreneurs and, and it's in my blood. So we've, we've had this company, we've been growing this company. It's exciting, the new products every year. But to actually go into a, an area where it was kind of what we call the last ergonomic frontier, meaning it was the last place technology was actually put, and that is in healthcare with the electronic medical records and, and all of that, to really go after that and create products that were meaningful and really made a difference in people's everyday work lives was the most, one of the most exciting things I've done. I mean, it was very similar to when we started Human Scale, but to do it in this sector where, you know, it's so, health is, is if you don't have health, you have nothing, as health you know. Health is priceless, absolutely. <laughs> as you know. <laughs> and people that, that go into this profession are so dedicated. There's not a better, you know, thing that we could have done. And, and I'm very, very proud of it. And I'm excited about it. I'm still excited about it every day I wake up. Great. I would say that the last, the last five years really growing globally, this healthcare sector of our business has been so much fun and really special for me. That's fantastic. And, and justifiably so as well. I mean, looking forward, if we were to look forward to say 2024, three years from now, you know, something I often talk about is this idea of your best possible future self. So, you know, in three years time, you know, what might be different from what's happening right now in terms of your dreams, your goals, your aspirations, your, your health, your plans? What would you say to that, Heather, your best possible future self three years from now, looking forward? I'll be mountain biking in, in Mohab on some of the hardest trails, <laughs> going off cliffs. The last couple of years, obviously, this this past 2020 was was very challenging for us as a company, just like with anybody. And of course, with COVID. Yeah, it's it's been a really weird. The last year was was a very interesting year, but the year before was actually one of the hardest years we've had at the company. And I I always say, Bob and I always say, if it wasn't for 2019, we wouldn't have come out of 2020 the way we did, right? So we something in the universe prepared us <laughs> for 2020. So looking forward, I mean, we were able to really assess and really reorganize our, our company. We, we got back to the basics. And I think over the next three years, it's gonna be incredibly exciting. We've put new leadership in place. We've reorganized. We have so many great product ideas. I mean, people during the COVID time, I can't tell you how creative and just the juices, the creative juices that came out of a year of, you know, what, what you and I would call reflection, right? Mm. <laughs> really being with ourselves. Our people thrived. So we have 
a lot of exciting things on the horizon. And personally, you know, I've spent, as you know, I travel the world and I was always on an airplane. I was always traveling, always doing deals and doing this and doing that. And I've been, it'll be on March 11th, a year that I've been at home. And I use that to, you know, I've always been very into exercise and being fit and eating well, but I use that as a, an opportunity to get in the be- best shape I think I've been in in my life. Believe Isn't it. That brilliant. Yeah. <laughs> so I want to continue that. I want to go, I want to keep, keep that going. We're reorganizing the company almost feels like the beginning again. I think that's a great mindset to have, by the way, you know, that, and I, it's in mindset I like to adopt myself to always be a beginner, to never stop starting, you know, have a mindset that's open to everything and, and attached to nothing. In other words, that you stay open to new possibilities and stay a learner, stay a beginner. I think that's a great way to be. Yeah. Can I ask you, Heather, I mean, I've, you know, I know one of your core company values and ideas with human scale is, is that beautiful Leonardo da Vinci quote that says that simplicity is the ultimate sophistication. And I really think it's a wonderful quotation on so many different levels about this idea of simplifying and how simplicity really is the essence of, of beauty and functionality and so on. And of course, Leonardo da Vinci was such a creative genius. I mean, if you think about cre- creativity, he was the essence of creativity. Do you think that the, you said that your company was so creative in the last year? Do you think that was the environment you've created with your people? Is that a cultural value that you have, that you create that opportunity for inspiration and innovation and creativity? Or is it the, is it the people or is it a mixture of both? Well, I think you, you ha- it has to be a mixture of both. You have to create the platform. Like I said at the beginning, you've got to create a platform that's conducive to your values, right? Mm-hmm. We've created that platform, but it's also the people that we that we have, and it's reinvigorated because over the last couple of years, I, I've shared with you, we've you know changed quite a few of our of our managers. We've we've promoted people, and so the people that are here, their values are the same as ours, meaning the same as the as Bob and myself and the company and how we started and we've created a platform that allows them to be creative and but also we've chosen people that fit for our company right that fit culturally into our organization and so that's the spirit of of the individual as well as the 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 platform that we've we've created you've said in the last year you've you've got yourself probably in the best shape you've ever been in from a health perspective you mentioned, you've mentioned being out in nature. I'm reminded of John Ratey. John Ratey has written that a must-read book called Spark. He's a psychiatrist in Harvard, and he bases his time between there and, and California. He's also written a book called uh, Going Wild, and it's about the health benefits of being out in nature, exercising in nature. And I know that's something that you love to do. Yeah, I'm very fortunate that I love to do that because I know people... And we have people in our organization that weren't brought up in nature, that didn't understand what nature was. And I, I just, that just flabbergasted me. We have someone, a senior person in our company that, that told me one day when we were on a call, they were out in the country because they left 
New York. They left the city. And I said, oh, you know, you can go out and take walks and you can ride your bike. And they said, mm. yeah, but the bears might get us. <laughs> we don't, we're, I hate nature. I'm afraid of nature. I'm, you know, and that was like so foreign to me. So I, I guess, you know, some people, it, it's not that meaningful to. I just grew up in it and I couldn't imagine not being able to go outside. It would definitely, um, I think, would take a toll on my spirit. Well, there's so much research now that shows, you know, spending time in nature is so good for your mental health, dissolving toxic stress, building a sense of creativity, boosting your immune system. And really that sense of awe and, and wonder and tuning into your higher self. I mean, I think it, it really is such a gift to be able to spend time in nature, which as you said, some people just don't get that opportunity. Yeah. You know, I think it can't be forced. I mean, I know there's all these books written, there's all these studies, there's people talk about it all the time, how going into nature, being in nature is great for you. But if people don't, if, if they don't, if they're afraid of it, or they don't know what to do in it, think of it as like going to Disneyland. <laughs> I'm not sure that the same benefits are there. Yeah. You You're know? right. I think it's something to make part of your everyday experience to, as opposed to something you go to once a year or whatever. Uh, yeah. you know, e even indoor plants, bringing nature indoors can be very, very therapeutic. Do you, do you believe in that, Heather, at all? Do I'm not a big plant person, but you know, my thing is, is I love gardens. I have, I have gardens. I mean, here in in Colorado, where I live, I mean, I look out my window every day and the wild turkeys are digging it up and the deer are eating my, my tree. <laughs> I'm like, you know, what am I going to do? But that's, that's nature and it's where I live. Which, but, is, which is fantastic. Yeah, it is fantastic. But indoor plants, I mean, I, I love plants. I just, it's just not my thing, but I think it's, I think my mother loved plants. She had more plants than Carter had pills and I inherited a lot of them. I've been trying to keep them alive. <laughs> I remember Steve coming with his horse trailer with all these plants of my mom's and I'm going, oh my gosh, what am I going to do with all these things? But plants are, you know, nature is beautiful. I think you have to learn it. And if people aren't used to it, they have to learn it and they have to, you know, it can't force just like anything. I think it was Ralph Waldo Emerson who said, nature's secret is patience. And I think you're right. I think nature is a tremendous teacher. If you slow down and spend some time in nature and really tune into who you are. Yeah. And of course, Heather, I have to ask you as well about your love of animals, because we mentioned Steve earlier on and his passion for the horses. But I know you also share a love of animals. Oh, absolutely. You know that. I know that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, I never had kids. And some people say, oh, you've substituted the not having kids with the animals. But my, you know, again, I was brought up with a house full of, of animals, right? Dogs and cats. And we always had horses, too, because we all rode. So I've, I just developed a, a huge love of particularly dogs. I have a couple cats, but they're very independent. And so Steve and I, you know, we started rescuing dogs years ago. They all have their own personalities. It's heartbreaking when we lose them. And 
I think we counted the other day that we buried 25 up on our hillside behind our house over the course of the time that we've been here in Colorado. And it's heartbreaking, but they've really taught, I mean, animals are a great teacher and talk about patience and nature. I mean, there's patience in having animals. It's caring for, for something other than yourself. Mm-hmm. Their unconditional love. I mean, it's just, it's, it's, I love it. And I've, I'm surrounded by them. And, and that's, I'll tell you, one of the things of being here in the COVID time is these guys have kept me coming. They've irritated the hell out of me. Pardon <laughs> my, they, they bark and, you know, growl, but they're all here in my office, most of them. And I have eight of them. <laughs> so I love it. I love, you know, again, getting back to when we first started the conversation, I was brought up with animals. I was brought up outside. I have a tremendous amount of respect for, for all of them. They're part of us. They're part of our planet. I mean, there's been a lot of studies. I mean, you could probably cite more studies than I could about how animals help elderly. And I mean, they're, you know, taking animals into hospitals, therapy for therapy. I mean, there's nothing that substitutes it. Oh, absolutely. Um, I mean, I call, I call it vitamin P. The, you know, <laughs> you know, the oxytocin release, oxytocin, of course, releases nit- nitric oxide, which supports heart health, lowers blood pressure. And it's really that, that hormone of empathy and love and connection, and positivity. And I think animals just, just bring that out in us in, as humans. And, you know, it's, it's really interesting how they're just listening to you. I've just been really reflecting on our conversation and the commonality of the theme of care really resonates with me um, in, in terms of, you know, how you care for, you know, how you're passionate about human scale and obviously the environment and sustainability and the World Wildlife Foundation, but also your, your deep care for nature and, and your, your care for, for animals as well. I mean, it is a common thread. And you also did say that care was really a key ingredient of, of lasting success. Yep. If I was to ask you, Heather, to, in terms of building a resilient mind, a more resilient mindset, what would be three take-homes for our listeners who might be interested in, in building their own resilience? Well, it starts with our, with our bodies, right? I think it starts with exercise. Yes. It starts with what you eat, because what we eat is what we are. And time, time for, for reflection. I know that the fourth is, is just being open to constructive feedback mm-hmm. is what I would say. Yeah, but I, I think- nothing, nothing replaces your physical. I mean, we are physical beings. We're also mental beings, but it starts with the physical. Cause if you don't have physical, you can have all the mental that anyone would need, but if you don't have the physical, you're not going to have the mental. You're absolutely right. It's such a foundation stone for everything really, Heather, you know, for anything you want to do in the world. Health really is the is the crown on the well person's head that only the sick person can see. It really is so priceless. And it's something we all have to work on. Nothing, nothing is static. As you said, we keep on evolving and growing. Heather, finally, after our great conversation today, can I, can I ask you, what for you is the meaning of life? <laughs> you know, I hate this question. So <laughs> I told you a story when we when we kind of were talking about doing this podcast that you know, I was riding my bike and we have a, a younger person that works on our ranch who's who's a really good 
cyclist and he has taught me a lot. And I said to him, I said, you know, this friend of mine is gonna ask me this question and I'm not quite sure how to answer it. And I asked him what, what, he, what his answer would be. And I told you, he said, love. And I was like, you know, that makes a lot of sense. Well, I think that's, that's a great answer. So what I would say, Heather, is keep leading, keep loving, keep learning, keep inspiring, and keep being the wonderful person you are. It's been a real pleasure to have you here today. Thank you, Mark. And you know, you're one of my favorite people. I've known you for a long time. And, you know, you're, you're an inspiration to me. Thank you, Heather. Bye-bye. <laughs> <laughs> Hi. Thank you for listening to my podcast, In the Doctor's Chair. For further resources to support you to live with more vitality, please visit my website, drmarkrow.com.